Thank you, Tim. Uh, turn with your Bibles uh, this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, continuing a series of sermons in 1 Peter. And we have made it to chapter 2. Uh, you might remember that um, each sermon in uh, chapter 1 of 1 Peter had something to do with the gospel. Gospel hope, gospel love, gospel joy, a number of different things that Peter identifies come from the gospel, the blessings of the gospel in our lives, and the rest of his letter is built upon that. We pick up with the verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And that is God's word. Again, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a light into our feet, a lamp into our path. And it is what points us to Jesus. And I pray this morning we would see him in our text. We would find him to be real to us as we look at this passage of scripture. We pray that you would open our hearts and your Holy Spirit would apply the truths we find here today to mold us and shape us into what you would have us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To me, one of the most overused phrases today is about how life is a journey. You know, sometimes people justify their behavior or their misbehavior on where they are in this supposed journey in life. They'll excuse what they did or did not do, what they said or did not say, what responsibility they accepted or did not accept based on their progress or lack of progress on this journey. You can tell I'm not a big fan of uh, that perspective. It does appear to me that some people sometimes use that as an excuse. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to look at life as a journey. It certainly is that. The Bible describes life as a journey. But... When the Bible talks about life being a journey, it doesn't begin so much with our physical birth as it does with our spiritual birth or with our new birth or with our conversion. Our real journey in life is a spiritual journey, one that takes us from the time of our justification all the way to the time of our glorification. And what happens on that journey, the journey from our conversion to the time we're in heaven with Christ. What happens on that journey is very important because what happens then proves whether or not we are truly converted. Whether or not we really belong to Christ. You see, that journey, that spiritual journey, is to be characterized by spiritual growth. 
Jesus said several important things in that regard. He said, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. He also said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then he said, by this is my Father glorified if you bear spiritual fruit. And so this spiritual journey then is to be characterized by, as Jesus says, loving others, obeying his commandments, and bearing spiritual fruit. Simply said, again, it's to be a time of spiritual growth. You know, our goal as believers, our catechism tells us, coming from the scriptures, is to glorify God. And the greatest way you and I can do that greatest way you and I can glorify Him is by living our lives for Him, seeking first His kingdom, showing the fruit of the Spirit, and living our lives daily for Christ. Uh, I, I think what we find here in our, our text reflects that. Uh, my sermon this morning is entitled, The Way of Spiritual Growth. How do we get there? I think that's what Peter is addressing in our text. Now, I want to uh, draw three things about that from these three verses for you this morning. And first, I believe we find what I'm calling the prerequisite for spiritual growth. Chapter 2 begins with that very important and, again, very theologically profound word, therefore. Kerry was talking about it this morning from Romans chapter 8, because Romans chapter 8 begins with the word, therefore. And we always ask, well, what's the therefore, therefore? And it always ties together something that has been said in one place with what is now being said in another place. Many times, the word therefore ties together an admonition or an exhortation that is about to be given with a principle or a truth that has already been stated somewhere else. And that's exactly what we find here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter's about to give an exhortation to us about spiritual growth. And the principle or the truth upon which he is basing that exhortation is something he's already said back in chapter 1 about the fact that we have been born again by the living and the enduring Word of God. You see, just like our physical birth inevitably leads to, to spiritual, or our physical birth leads to physical growth, so our spiritual birth will lead to spiritual growth. Look, look back at, at chapter 1 for just a moment in verse 23 where we find that principle stated or the truth given he says for you have been born again not of a seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and the enduring word of God and it, it, it appears here as though Peter is saying therefore therefore since that is true since you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God then you are to grow in respect to salvation. And so the basic prerequisite for spiritual growth is spiritual life. You can't grow spiritually if you don't have new birth, new life, 
you haven't experienced what we know as conversion. And it's my responsibility as your pastor from time to time to exhort you to that, to call you to that. To help you realize that apart from you being called to faith by the Holy Spirit and giving your life to Christ, then you're still apart from Christ. Dan Carey was talking about that in Sunday school this morning. You're either in Christ or not. You either belong to Him or you don't. If you have any question about that this morning, whether you are one of our young people trying to grasp what this is all about, trying to understand the reality of what your Sunday school teacher teaches you on Sunday morning and and what I preach about during worship service and other things that you hear in your home about the gospel. If you're not sure if, if, if you belong to Jesus, then come see me. Go see Gavin. Seek out one of the elders. It is the most important decision that you will make. You cannot apply the truths of the gospel to your life until first something internal has happened. Until you've been changed by the power of the word of God as the Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to your heart. That's the basic prerequisite of spiritual growth. But there's another prerequisite here. And we find that in verse 1. And that is repentance. Peter says in verse 1, Therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You see, before we can put on the new traits that Christ calls on us to put on, we must put aside those things that displease Him. And again, He lists some of those sins for us here. It's interesting to me that the sins that he names here in verse 1, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander are all relational. They deal with how we relate to each other on the horizontal level. And that tells us a lot. It tells us, for one thing, that relationships matter. Don't you understand that the way that you relate to each other is a reflection of the way that you relate to God? And that comes home no more clearly to me than it does in my relationship with my wife. Because I know when I'm not relating to her right, I'm not relating to God right. Our horizontal relationships are a reflection of our vertical relationship with God. And so when Peter's telling us here to put aside these things, malice, slander, deceit, envy, whatever it might be, he's telling us to make sure that our relationship with God is right as well. You see, conversion is transformational. It makes us into something that we weren't. And it helps us to do things in a different way from what we did before. And Peter's saying here that repentance is an important prerequisite to spiritual growth. You have to put aside the bad before you can put on the good. You have to turn away from what displeases God before you can turn to what pleases Him. Now, the sins that Peter lists here are not comprehensive. They're representative. 
And what Peter's saying is, look, if you're going to really seek spiritual growth, you've got to put aside the things that hinder that. You've got to put aside the things that keep you from accomplishing that. And so there are two prerequisites here. One is being born again, having new life. The other is repenting of sin so you can pursue spiritual growth. Then second, we see the means of spiritual growth in this text or how we grow in grace. And, and there's no surprise here, folks. For If you've been around this church long, it's no surprise. The means of spiritual growth is a longing for the Word of God. You know, there's only one exhortation in these three verses. And it's found in verse 2 where he says, Long for the pure milk of the Word. If you want to grow spiritually, spending time in God's Word is essential. That is the means God has given to us by which we can grow in our knowledge of God and our faith in Christ and in the grace of salvation. You know, it's very interesting to see how important, how important this book is in the life of a believer. It is the means of your conversion or your justification. It's also the means of your sanctification. Or your growth in grace. is what God by the Holy Spirit uses to bring you to faith. It's what God the Holy Spirit uses to build you up in the faith. And Peter says here clearly we're to long for it. We're to long for it. Just like a baby longs for milk. Believers need the word of God. Just as badly as a baby needs its milk. And... You know, a baby, when it doesn't have its milk, can get quite fussy, can it? And nothing will satisfy that baby until it's given its milk. When was the last time you longed for the Word of God like that? When was the last time you were so restless, so hungry, so thirsty, you just couldn't wait to open up the book and to read God's Word? Have you ever longed? Have you ever longed for God's Word like that? I confess to you, times when I long for God's Word like that are rare. Aren't they rare in your life too? And yet Peter says we are to long for the milk of the Word just like a baby longs for its mother's milk. We're to desire it. I'm reminded of what the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. And that deer running through the woods on a hot summer day can't wait to get to that cool stream to drink. That's the way the baby is, isn't it? It just can't wait. just can't wait to receive the nourishment of the milk. And, and, and that's the way it ought to be in our lives. We ought to long for the Word of God, because we know it's our sole source of spiritual nourishment and sole source of spiritual food. But notice, Peter says something else here. We're not just to long for the milk of the Word. We're to long for the pure milk of the Word. That means we should desire it in its uncontaminated form. We read earlier from Psalm 19 in our unison read of Scripture, the commandment of the Lord is pure. It's pure, enlightening the eyes. 
Psalm 119 says, Your word is pure, therefore your servant loves it. God's word, the psalmist tells us as he's given it to us, is pure, it's clean, it's right, it's perfect, it's true. The problem is that people often pollute it, contaminate it, and defile it. And they do that by mixing it with what is not true. Watering it down so it's not as strong and as powerful as it might otherwise be. Or putting other things in its place. I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple. Toward the end, I always talk to them about the importance of being involved in a, in a good church. And I tell them always to look for a church that preaches the Word of God. Where the minister gets up, opens the book, and preaches from it without embarrassment and without shame. I don't care so much, I tell them, if it's a Presbyterian church, or a Baptist church, or a Bible church. Don't quote me on that. As long as it's a church that preaches the Word of God. And I tell them to avoid a church where entertainment has replaced the scriptures, where feelings and emotions have become more important than truth and conviction, where political correctness has watered down the truth of what God has revealed to us. And I would say the same to you. You know, North Point, just by its character, is a transitional church. We have so many people who are here for short periods of time and then go somewhere else. And so I would exhort you the same way. That is, wherever you go, wherever God leads you, always look for a church that is centered upon the Bible, where the Bible is held up and where Christ is exalted and His truth is proclaimed. And you can receive the spiritual food that your soul longs for as a baby longs for its milk. And the promise of God is clear in the text, and that is, you will grow. Look what Peter says. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, that is by the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. When Peter talks about growing in respect to salvation here, he's talking about growing in sanctification. As I said earlier, we're born again by the Word, and we grow by the Word. The formula really is simple. If you spend time in the Word, and you feed on it, drink from it, you'll grow. If you neglect it, if you don't study it, if you don't ponder it, if you don't read it, don't meditate on it, then you won't. It's long for. Read, meditate on, and expose yourself to the pure milk of the word so you can grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Then third, we see the motivation for spiritual growth, and we find it in verse 3. The motivation for wanting more of God is what you've already experienced of God. Peter refers in verse 3 to the kindness of of the Lord. What a sweet phrase that is. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. 
And the Bible refers to our relationship with God that way. It's something that is so real to us that we can taste it. You know, the psalmist says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hebrews 6 talks about those who've tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers that have, of the age to come. You see, our, our relationship with God is something that we experience. It's not just something we do with our minds, but it's something that is real to our senses. We taste His kindness. We feel His presence. We hear His voice in His Word. We know His truth. We, we see His handiwork. Here's a balance in the life of a Christian between knowledge on the one hand and, and emotion or experience on the other. And historically, Presbyterians have, have leaned toward the knowledge side and have somewhat shunned the emotional, more experiential side. And I would tell you that we have done that to our disservice. Knowing God is so much more than simply being able to answer questions or memorize the catechism or pass a test. It is tasting God's kindness It is knowing that the Lord is good. It is experiencing and delighting in God's love. It is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is being led by the Spirit. It is walking in the Spirit. See, God is to be real to us. And our relationship with Him must mean something to us in a personal way. And if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, then you will want more of it. That's what Peter's saying. Long for the pure milk of the word if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Last weekend, as most of you know, Carol and I were in Columbus, Georgia to visit our youngest son who recently moved there. It was our first time to Columbus. We found it to be a very delightful place. Our hotel was right downtown. It's a very... uh, active uh, town with uh, restaurants and shops that were quite lively and open the evening and a boulevard uh, down the road that ran along uh, the river and we enjoyed staying there and one of the places that we went was a frozen yogurt shop now we'd never been to one of these before there may be one in Meridian for for all I know but there's a place where you go and you get your cup and then there are all these stations and you go and you just fill your cup with as much yogurt as you want and put your toppings on it and then you hold your breath while they weigh it to see how much you owe. Well, we got a taste of it. You know what that meant? I had to go back the next night and get another taste. And that night, we were sitting on a table on the sidewalk in front of the shop eating our, our dessert. And I told her, it's a good thing we're going home tomorrow. But that's, that's the way it is, folks. If you've gotten a taste, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, 
if it is real to you, then you want more of it. And, and the joy of the gospel is you get to take your cup and you get to hold it under the dispenser of his grace until your cup just completely overflows. This sacrament is one of the ways God has given to us to taste the Lord's goodness to us. The bread and the, and the juice are tangible, visible signs of profound spiritual truths. And they communicate to us in part through the senses, don't they? In, in just a few moments when we sing a hymn, the elders are going to uncover the table and you will see the elements before you. And then you will take them in your hands and you will touch them with your fingers. And then you will put them in your mouth and you will taste them with your senses all to communicate to you the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And wouldn't you know, this is one of the means God has given to us to accomplish our spiritual growth. The Word and the sacraments are two of the principal means of grace, we call them, by which God shows us Himself, by which He builds us up in the faith, and by which He increases our love for Him. May His Word today, and this, may this sacrament today, do that for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we're guilty because we don't long for it as we should. Father, may we long for it as the baby longs for its milk. May we long for it as the deer pants for the water brook. And we thank you for this sacrament we're about to share together and pray that it too would be something for which we long and something that feeds our hungry souls and quenches our thirsty spirits. Would it do that today as we taste more of you and ask it in Jesus' name? Amen. As is our custom, I'll read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is where we find the words of institution uh, for the Lord's Supper from the pen of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Twice in that text, Paul says, do this. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. But this is a, so much more than just a memorial. So much more than just a time where we remember what 
Christ has done. It is a time where we really experience the gospel. Again, where we taste its goodness. I said a moment ago that the sacrament is one of the means God has given to us to communicate his grace to us. This is a communicating ordinance, we call it. And it's actually a Trinitarian ordinance. Because each person of the Trinity communicates something to us through this sacrament. We, we, we see the truth of God the Father's love for us. The fact that He loved us so much that He would send His Son to be our Savior. That He loves us unconditionally. Not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. We see the love of God communicated to us. We see the grace of Jesus. The sacrifice of Christ communicated on this table. The fact that Jesus took our penalty. He died in our place. He bore God's wrath in our stead. He was our substitute. And, and, and we see how the Holy Spirit takes these truths and applies them to our hearts. And it makes it real to us so that we are able to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, it's my privilege this morning to invite you to come and taste the Lord today. To taste His goodness and His grace to you in Jesus. To taste the salvation that is yours, not because of anything you have done, but only because of what Christ has done for you. I invite you, all you who are members of any evangelical church who have placed your faith and your trust in Christ, who are seeking to live your life in obedience to God's word, I invite you to come. This is a table for sinners, redeemed sinners, forgiven sinners, but not perfect sinners. None of us would qualify. If you are broken by your sin, if you are repentant this morning, then you ought to come. But if you're harboring a sin, holding a sin, one held so tightly you won't give it up, then perhaps you ought to refrain until the Holy Spirit works in your heart enough to be able to let that sin go, that you might taste again the kindness of the Lord. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is Christ's table. And we invite you to come and to taste the goodness of the Lord with us this morning. As we prepare our hearts to do that, we're going to sing this morning. A little more lively song than we usually sing in preparing our hearts for communion. We're going to sing uh, an old gospel hymn, if I can find it in my bulletin. Uh, my Savior's love, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned unclean. What a great song to sing as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. As we sing, our elders will come forward and they'll prepare things for us. So let's stand together and sing.
so much for this great gift given to your church, to your people. We thank you for the way in which this sacrament represents to us in such a clear, tangible way the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he was willing to take our place to endure what should have been ours to endure. To suffer death we might experience life. To be condemned that we might experience the fullness of your grace. May we delight ourselves in that today as we taste this morning and see that you are indeed so very good. It is marvelous. It is wonderful. We thank you for it. And we ask that you would set these elements aside for this very special purpose, that as we partake of them, they might feed our hungry souls, and quench our thirsty spirits, and we feast upon the grace and the mercy and the goodness of Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 